0: Well, Veritas, we are glad that you have joined us this morning. Today's a special day. It was nine years ago on this weekend that Veritas Church was started, and it has been a crazy journey for us, and we feel like it's an important time for us as a church to stop and just examine our hearts. Usually, we would start the year by by going through our our core values and talking about the need to celebrate, connect, contribute, and talk to all the new people that are coming in about our vision and mission. Um, But we're going to take the next four weeks and talk about this thing that God wants for us, and that is humility and this passage from Deuteronomy 8 is where we're going to start, and we're going to be in in this, in this passage this morning. And then next week, we're going to spend three weeks in Philippians 2, this, this passage that, that talks about the humility of Christ. And we're going to uh, spend some time in that, and we'll, we'll talk about this um, you got this bookmark, and we'll be talking about this here in a little bit. But I want to start with Deuteronomy 8. If you have a Bible, you can open it there or turn it on to Deuteronomy 8. It will also be on the screens just to give you some quick context before we jump in. Some of you um, are new to this book, uh, and it begins with this people called the Israelites. And you're like, yeah, Israel, they're around today, right? And, and this, this whole book is, is really um, the journey of this, this little band of people. They were uh, a nomadic people. It began with this one guy named Abram. And God came to this guy and he made a promise to him. So He's wandering around. God meets him and and says, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, what does every nation need? to be called a nation. They need people and they need land. Well, this is gonna be a problem because Abram's a nomad. He's wandering around. He has no land. He has no people. It's just him and his aging. They're, they're this old couple, right? And God makes this promise to them. I'm gonna make you a great nation and I'm gonna bless all the peoples on earth through you. Okay, well, this people, they go through 430 years as slaves in Egypt. Then God busts them out and they spend 40 years wandering around the desert. And now they're about a million people probably at this time when they're in the wilderness. They've, become, they've gone from this old couple to this pretty significant people group. But they still have no land and that's where we come to Deuteronomy 8. They are standing on the brink of the promised land. And this is like a pep talk before they go into the much anticipated land. A time of incredible prosperity. But before they step into this land, God gives them a warning. And this is where we pick it up. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper when you eat and are full you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the Flint Rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers had not known, in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, I testify against you today that you will perish. The Israelites stand on the brink of unprecedented prosperity and one of the most exciting days in their history where this people group is going to step into their own land, their own nation, and we get the warning in verse 14. After you eat, after you build your beautiful homes, after your bank account increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud And you forget the Lord. See, in Egypt, you were slaves and God saved you. In the desert, you were starving and God fed you. You were thirsty and God gave you something to drink. But the promised land is gonna be different. Look at verse 8. It's gonna be a land flowing with wheat, grapes, pomegranates, oil, and honey. No more masters, you're just gonna be landowners. No more manna that you have to wake up every morning and hope God provides it. No, there's gonna be feasting. There's gonna be wheat fields. There's gonna be no more thirst because you won't be desperate for God to bring water out of rocks. There's gonna be flowing streams, natural springs everywhere in this promised land. It's gonna be awesome. But in the midst of all of this prosperity, something will happen in your soul. You're going to be tempted, and it's going to do something to you. Look at verse 17. You may say to yourself, this might happen to you in the midst of all this abundance. My power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. You start believing, I did this. Right? You look out at your field, and you say, I planted all that wheat, I harvested this wheat, I raised these cows, I grew these grapes, I pressed these grapes, I fermented these grapes, I made this wine, I raised these cows, I milked these cows. You know what? The land is flowing with milk and honey because of me. It was my hard work that did this. We do this too, don't we? We prosper, and then we, we say, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm the one that worked hard to get that ACT score, to get that scholarship, to get into that program, and I'm the one that studied, and I'm the one that saved. I'm the one that started this business. I'm the one that invested in this retirement account. I'm the one that did it, and we actually start believing that we are the ones that did it. We are the ones that produced this prosperity. And we even begin to tell our story differently. We begin to kind of change the narrative from all these, you know, it, what's true is we got we got these lucky breaks. We were born into this family that, you know, we we were helped in certain ways we were you know we this this person got me into this program and and whatever and and you start to forget the little steps of providence and coincidences along the way and you start telling the story as like it was like me versus the world right oh man it was I had to work so hard and and we start to glorify ourselves in the story and we start to become the hero and subtly, the same thing that turned angels into devils creeps into our souls. If you're taking notes, you can write this down and this is what we're talking about this morning, the prosperity dilemma. The prosperity dilemma is this. God prospers us and pride creeps into our souls. God prospers us, and priority, or pride creeps in. This pride is—you hear people talk about ego, uh, this idea of self-importance, of self-reliance. We're even seeing in the self-help section, uh, people are writing books on this, right? Humility is becoming a virtue because what we're seeing, you know, books like Ego is the Enemy, great book, but void of God, right? And, and people are writing and talking about this because they understand you will fall from such great heights if you become proud, if you lose touch with reality, if you start living on planet me, right? Things will not go well for you. And so we see this warning in the scriptures. And this terrifies me. This terrifies me because we are among the most prosperous people in the history of the world. If you took a historical figure from any other period in history and you just dropped him into the apartment of someone who we would consider poor among us, right? And you just put take some historical figure, George Washington, you know, John Adams, any and just like person, just plop them in, Abraham, boom. And you're like, hey, uh, you want something to drink? And you go over to the fridge and you open it up and they pull out some cold. Here, let me get you some ice. And like, what is this? And then you pull out of your pocket this supercomputer, right? And and even uh, the poorest among us, many of them have these supercomputers that I would just carry around. It has like in access to information, any, all knowledge, all information that you would want. It's just like right here. And we are a prosperous people. And so we are in danger of this very thing. Like us more than any other people in the history of the world are prone to this sin of pride of self-reliance, of we're walking around in this land of abundance. And so we are at risk of this pride, but there's something even more fearful uh, that, that I'm even more terrified about than our physical prosperity, and that's our spiritual prosperity. This morning, uh, as we said, Veritas, Veritas, turns nine years old. So it was nine years ago um, on this weekend that we started Veritas Church. And this group of people stepped out in faith and uh, started this this little church. And it was the summer of 2010 that we, we started meeting and we were in the basement of of uh, this couple's home. And, and as more people started coming to town and come in, we, we had to move to a city park because uh, we didn't have enough room in the basement. And we still didn't have a name for our church yet. And this was one of our, oh, this is a picture of our first potluck as a church. This is a Veritas Church, not yet named, but this group of people. And let me tell you what's on that table. Um, we had a bunch of college students and a couple community people. And so our Potluck was basically, there were like 30 bags of Doritos and 20 bags of Oreos, and I think the Mullikins or Olsons brought like a a box of Kentucky Fried Chicken and potato salad, right? That was our potluck, okay? We, uh, our first week of class, so this is before Salt Company started. The next picture is Monday Morning Prayer. That's Salt Company, right? Uh, That's Monday Morning Prayer on September 13th. Oh, no, no, no. This was actually in August before we kicked off Salt Company, the first day of classes, and we were terrified. Um, I remember stepping out of the circle to take a picture because I wanted to remember this moment. We were terrified, right? We're about to start Salt Company, and we're like, is anybody going to come? I remember one of my kids praying at bedtime. He was like, "Um, Lord, I'll never forget this prayer. I was like, Lord, Help people to come to our church so that dad can have a job. (laughs) It was like, so that we can have money. And like we, like I'm the pastor of a church that doesn't even exist yet. And we're standing here on Monday morning, just terrified, praying with all the faith we can muster. We were desperate for God. But now, today is a different day. Because now when we gather at the park, this is what it looks like. Over a thousand college students. And now I have great news because we had a potluck last spring. And there was actually food that had been prepared that came to the potluck, like casseroles. There were salads, right? There was... uh, Which means we have families that are starting to come. Praise the Lord for that. And God is doing something among us that is beyond anything we could have dreamed or imagined. God has blessed us. So now, Deuteronomy 8 is a warning for us because we have stepped into a place of prosperity. We are probably one of the wealthiest, most successful churches that I can think of. Like God has blessed us in such a cool way and God's blessing people all over this state, all over this nation. So this is not like a, I'm just saying that's how I feel. I feel like I am a part of something that is so beautiful and amazing. But Deuteronomy 8, is a passage that needs to, we just need to stop here. And we need to understand where we're at. And the good news this morning is that Deuteronomy 8, this pride and downfall, it's not our destiny, it's our warning. And God put this in here so we would listen, so we would get close and hear the voice of God into our hearts. And that's why we're going to take the next four weeks to talk about humility. The next three weeks, um, we're going to be in Philippians 2, which is why you have this bookmark. And you can see this, this graphic that Mitchell made of uh, this, this lunar landing. I mean, this is one of the greatest human achievements. Driving around on the moon, that's amazing. And then you look around and it's nothing in the vastness of this universe, right? And so this is a picture of how small we are and what we wanna do over the next few weeks is we wanna examine our hearts and remind ourselves of who God is and what he's called us to as the people of God and so next week we're gonna look at Jesus as our model of humility and spend a few weeks and we actually are inviting you to memorize this passage of Scripture with us. So we're, we're all together going to memorize Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And so you've got a few weeks to do this. Um, and so we would invite you to join us in that. But this morning, in Deuteronomy 8, we see the way to stay humble is very simple. It's very simple. It comes down to one simple thing. Remember. Remember 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 what 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 are you remembering here's the solution to the prosperity dilemma we need to remember grace we need to remember grace i want you to see this in verse 7 and 14 for the lord your god is bringing you into a good land verse 14 be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the lord your god Listen, the Lord your God who did what? The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. What he's saying is, Israel, you are not going into the promised land because of your righteousness. You are not, God is not taking you into the promised land because you deserve it. Because you've earned it. No, no, no. Remember God. He's the God who brought you out of Egypt. That's, that's like Israel's testimony. You know, all of, anyone who's a Christian has a testimony like, man, my life was messed up and I came to know Jesus. Like, he saved me. Well, their, their God story was like, he, we were slaves. He brought us out of Egypt. He parted the sea. He carried us out. But notice the order of this here. Do, do any of you guys, um, okay, so, so God rescues them and he gives them the Ten Commandments. Do you guys remember the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any images of the Lord your God. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, you know, and on it goes. Well, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, I want you to remember the verse right before the first command. Look at Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. Do not make for yourself an idol. And on it goes. Here's the point. If you remember when we studied through Exodus, we talked about command number zero. Remember command number zero? There's like the Ten Commandments, but then there's, The command that's not even really a command, it's just, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Here's what's significant about this, and this is where, listen, you have to understand this is how Christianity is different from like every other world religion. God did not give them the Ten Commandments While they were in slavery in Egypt and say, okay, if you guys obey these rules, then I will get you out. It's not that it took Israel 430 years for them to be good enough to get out of Egypt. No, no, no. God got them out of Egypt and then he gave them the commandments. That's why the commands begin with grace. Grace comes before obedience. He doesn't say, give the 10 commands and then say, and then if you obey these, then I'll be the God who will rescue you. No, that comes before. This is who God is. He's a rescuing God. Even here in Deuteronomy 8, he doesn't say, okay guys, you remember the commands. Now, if you guys obey these commands, then I will give you the promised land. Do you see how grace comes before obedience? So here's the thing, when we, um, when you think about someone in your life that needs Jesus and their life is a mess, and they're like, okay, do I have to stop blank before I become a Christian? That's, that's kind of a hard question, right? But they're like, my life is so messed up, like, do I have to stop doing this, 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 and then become a Christian? What's your response? Your response is no, you can't stop doing all those things. Like, if you wait to become a Christian, the, like, after you stop doing all those bad things in your life, like, you will never become a Christian because <laughs> you will always be falling short. Like, what you do is you give your life to Jesus, and then he does the miraculous work of transforming your heart. Like, the grace comes before the obedience. The, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of sin and addiction and all of the mess that you made, that comes before the, okay, now here's some things you're going to want to do. It's the same pattern in the Old Testament. You, You don't have to have a period of obeying the commands before you can call yourself a Christian, right? You just give your life to Jesus and you're a Christian and then he Works out the rest. Look at how Ephesians says this. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. Why does God save us by grace? Why does he not make us be good and then save us? What does Ephesians 2 say? It's not by works. Why? Why is it not by works? So that no one will boast. God doesn't want anyone in heaven that shows up and says, I belong here. I did this. Like all you other fools who are here, you know, don't belong here, but I belong here. Like I did this. Nobody in heaven says that. Because it's a sheer gift of God's grace. I mean, we're talking about the prosperity dilemma. God blesses you in an extraordinary way and then you get proud. Well, heaven is the ultimate prosperity dilemma because it's paradise. It's streets of gold. It's, you show up and you open your mansion and this is prosperity, feasting, And yet everyone in heaven is humble. Why are they humble? Because they know. I have no business being here. I am unlocking the door to a mansion that I did not deserve. And my driveway is gold. And it's not because I've done anything to deserve this. And no wonder in Revelation we see them singing about the lamb who's worthy because he was slain to receive glory and honor and the power and the riches and the wisdom forever. And we look at him and we say, wow, what a God who rescued me from the place of slavery. It's appropriate for us to every once in a while reflect on our own story. Some of you... um, what is that Egypt for you? That place of slavery? Maybe it's um, maybe it was uh, addiction. Maybe it was um, a place of just wandering with uh, purposelessness. Like you, you wondered, does this life have any meaning or purpose? You just felt empty. Maybe um, it's divorce. Maybe that was your story that God kind of saved you from just brokenness and. Maybe it was loneliness or maybe you went through a breakup or whatever it is that that God stepped into your world and he pulled you out and he brought you into his family. Our own testimony should humble us and I think that's why God calls himself the God who brought you out of slavery because he wants us to remember. That's the way to stay humble, is to remember grace. And I think the hardest place to be proud is at the foot of the cross, looking at this marvelous gift that God has given unworthy people. All right, so some of you might be asking, okay, that's good. Grace. Remember grace. But I, I, w- I want to remember grace, but how do I apply grace? Like, how do I practically, what does this mean? How do I remember? And so there's two things, uh, two ways we remember grace from this passage. Um, I'm pulling two. There's probably more in here. But um, the first one, how do I remember grace? Number one, praise God. Praise God. Look at, I'm getting this from verse 10. So, when you eat and are full, God says, You will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. You need to, when you're eating that food and you're enjoying the prosperity, he says, Bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Okay, what does that mean? That's still pretty churchy language. What does it mean to praise the Lord? What does it mean to bless the Lord? What do those words mean? Well, if you you know what this means, you've seen people praise and bless something in your life. It happens like it did yesterday. Over sixty thousand people gathered to praise and bless something they loved. Right, the Hawkeyes come running out onto the field, and it's the music is pumping. You are screaming your head off, right? You're you're praising, your soul is erupting with joy and passion over something you love. That's what it means to bless the Lord. It's just that it's not a football team that is causing you to erupt with joy. It's the living God who saved you. That's what it means to bless the Lord. It means to your soul just When you look at the blessing of God in your life and all he's done for you, you just erupt with joy and music starts pumping and you start singing and praising him. And that's why Sundays are so important for us because there's something about praise. There's something about worship that that recalibrates our souls that re-centers us. And there's something about coming in with the people of God and it's singing, you are good, you are good. You're never gonna let me down. That just brings us back. And praise doesn't just have to happen on Sundays, right? This is, Why we say thank you before we eat a meal doesn't have to be an amazing prayer, but it can be just as simple as saying, thank you, God, for this food that I'm about to eat. It's acknowledging that this food comes from the hand of God to us. Anytime we enjoy something good, and as C.S. Lewis says, anytime we enjoy pleasure in its purest form, we are on God's turf. And And whether it's a a relationship with a dear friend, whether it's food that you eat, whether it's a sport that you enjoy, whether it's a song that you sing along with, you, you say thank you. And we see in Romans 1 that one characteristic of unbelief is a refuse to say thanks. a a a refusal to glorify God. And so that's why we need to fill our minds and our hearts and our lips with praise. And one thing that I want you to see about prosperity, this this is important for us because we could be tempted at this point in the sermon to go down this path of feeling guilty of all the things that we have, right? That's not the application of this message. When we praise God, What we are doing is we're glorifying him because he's the one that provided it for us. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this. It's on the screens. You don't have to turn there, but it just says, instruct those who are rich in this present age. That would be all of us. Instruct them not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. See, what Paul is saying, that the solution to the prosperity dilemma is not poverty. The solution is not, you're prospering, you need to be poor, because that's how you praise God. No, no, no. The solution is not poverty, it's praise. It's to thank God that it came from him to you so enjoy it all right the second application comes from verse 11 he says be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands ordinances and statutes that I'm giving you today if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow in worship to them I testify against you today that you will perish how do we remember how do we apply grace how do we remember grace number two obey God Here's a question for you this morning to think about. Are you a humble person? Like when you think of yourself, like have an out of body experience about yourself and just like like think about you. Is that person that you think of a humble person? Here's a question that will help you answer that question Are you a humble person? Are you teachable? Are you you a teachable person? Are you the kind of person that reads the Bible and is eager to read the Bible to see how you can change your life to conform to this book? Are you someone that when you read the Bible and you come across something that you disagree with, like you look at that and you're like, wow, God said this. In my life, I'm actually doing this. Are you the kind of person that, like, I need to go tell somebody. And I need to change my thinking. And I need to change my actions to conform to God's word. Right? Like, that's, that's what God's saying in Deuteronomy 8. What's going to happen in your prosperity is you're going to forget to obey my commands. And we see that in our culture, don't we? We see that in churches. Did God really say I mean, that's so archaic. That's so stupid. Like, why would you believe that? Well, humble people come to God's word, and instead of trying to change God's word, they try to change their lives, they try to change their thinking. And that's what God is saying is the litmus test for our humility. Like, am I a humble person? Well, am I teachable? Am I eager to obey God's commands? Do I invite correction? into my life. Well, I want to end with an objection because some of you might be thinking at this point, you know what? All this talk about prosperity, all of this talk about success, physical and spiritual prosperity, um, you might be thinking, actually, I'm not prospering, I'm suffering right now. I'm not living in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm living in a land of like scarcity and suffering and loneliness and sickness. This uh, last week or a uh, couple weeks ago, Jeff Dodge and I had the privilege to visit Steve and Lisa Holland. They're a couple that helped start Veritas. Still remember them in Hotel Vetro and have come in to check out this new church, Veritas. And well, a few years ago, Lisa was diagnosed with dementia. And her decline has been slow and painful. And we were visiting with her and she, she wakes up and, and every day Everything is a labor. From putting on your clothes to going out to the living room and she has this place where she sits. She sits down in this recliner and looks out onto her deck and there's a a bird feeder and the birds come and Jeff and I were just sitting with Steve and Lisa and she said to us, I we'll never forget this because it just, these words just just landed on me and she said, I have nothing but my thoughts and God. And he's been so good to me. You know, there are people that have everything. Everything. But they have nothing if they don't have Jesus Christ. There are people toward the end of their life that live in mansions overlooking the ocean. And really, it's just a really nice prison for them. Because they have no hope. And there are other people who sit in a recliner like Lisa with nothing. And yet what she's saying to us is, I have everything and she prayed for us and Jeff and I in the car ride over had been talking about some things and in her prayer it was like she had been in on our conversation as she prayed for us and ministered to us if you are in a season of suffering here's what I want you to remember Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen, if you have Jesus and suffering and no physical wealth and prosperity You have everything. God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms if you have Jesus Christ. And our prosperity is not in our attendance and in our beautiful building and in our budget. Our prosperity is Jesus Christ. And so with that, Veritas, um, we start on our journey to becoming A people that are marked by humility. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment just to um, kind of reflect on your soul right now and, and what you're processing right now. Um, Just think about Lisa's words. She said, "I, I sit here all day and all I have are my thoughts and God. But he's been so good to me. God, I pray that we will as we, as we worship, that you will remind us that you are good and that you love us and that you're actually all we need. God, help us to, um, in our prosperity, not forget you. Help us to become the kind of people you've called us to be and over the next few weeks, Lord, Speak to us and show us how we can be this this people marked by humility and a love for you, Lord.